Welcome to HivriaCast, the podcast where I, Alad Nehrai, speak with some fascinating and incredible creative Jews. Hello and welcome to HivriaCast. I am very excited. We have, first for the first time, two guests, which is really exciting. We have Sruli Brooker, not Sruli Booker, which I'm going to remember this time, and... Gedalia Aronson, right? Yes, yeah. Gedalia Aronson. Yeah. Good to meet you, Gedalia. I don't nice know you as you. well as uh, Sruli. Nice to meet but, you. But uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming. You guys are both part of Chillant, right? We're that's both that's in your Chilant. connection. Mm-hmm. And you live in Pittsburgh together. That's right. Yeah. And you're both musicians. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's the. Why'd you nod your head like that? Well, it's interesting because I didn't, I never considered myself a musician. Oh, right. Interesting. So it was only in the last, you know, because you know me, like when we, right, I do animation and film, right, and yeah, creative yeah, producing, that's how and we stuff started like that. Talking, yeah, um, he fell back on being a musician. Fell, that's yeah. his backup. That's yeah. my fallback. <laughs> that, that's like me too, though. Oh um, yeah, yeah. What's your What's your main deal? I mean, I think it. it I think it has been mm. music, but not in a way where I actively pursued it. I think mm. through divine providence uh, over the last bunch of years. Uh, I've been going in that direction more. Interesting. So, did you do anything else? Like, was there any other creative thing? Uh, no, like... I was um, I was cutting chicken in the kosher butcher shop <laughs> in uh, Pittsburgh for a bunch of years. Interesting. Is there a creativity involved in that? Feel? Um, he wrote a song about it. I, oh yeah, yeah. yeah there's a there's the first tune on the album is called "Save the Schmaltz." It's about collecting. <laughs> it's not really about anything. It's just a funk tune that's about chicken because it's a funky. You know, it's a funky place. A yeah. chicken. Chickens are inherently funky. Yeah. They're inherently funky. Yeah, there's a there's a dance move called the funky chicken. Oh my god! Wow, that's really interesting. So, do you feel like the funk came to you through the chickens? Or were you always ah, funky? the smell of the place <laughs> is, uh, is funky, but, but, but that's a, but but funk's been a, been alive and well for a while. So yeah. it just took I just took inspiration from a funky smelling place. Nice, <laughs> good for you. Yeah. Um, very interesting. Wow, it was and so you guys. So that's interesting. That's I'm, I'm very curious. Like, what brought you guys to music then? Like, what? Well, Gadai and I, we met. Um, Almost 14 years ago, when, when my wife and I got married, we did Sheva Brachas in Pittsburgh. Wow. And Modest Yahoo was there for like his second major show. This was in 04, right? Yeah, 14 04. Years ago. So um, he hosted an open mic at Carnegie Mellon. Really? And, um, Wait, how big was he at that point in 04? I'm trying to remember. He hadn't broken yet. He hadn't broken it. So he, this was when he was still. It was like, a little bit after. Arise, uh, this is when Arise. The yeah. first album was like about to come out, uh-huh. right when we got married. Right, right. And he and was on the Steve Harvey show, like right before, I think. Right? Really, yeah. he was on the Steve Harvey show. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah, he was. He was buzzing, right? People right. were starting to like. So a lot of people showed up for that open mic, you know. And it was he was wow. Um, but he was still small enough that you could have an open mic with him, right. at CMU. And um, you, you were Orthodox, then, obviously, right? Yeah, like yeah. I had been. I was already in Morristown for several years, uh-huh. and. Um, and so, yeah, so I met Gedalia and our saxophone player, Shua Hexter, I had known for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. But, um, and he, he works at the Chabad House on campus also. So we all jammed together that night. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I loved, oh, sorry. Oh, I, cool. I loved uh, playing with him. Uh-huh. And um, this was in 04. 04. Playing with him. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then when I moved, we moved to Pittsburgh 11 years ago, uh-huh. and Gedalia was still there. So when I met him again, I said, you know, we should, we should play again. Wow. And so we started jamming, and then there was this neighborhood open mic night in this this bar in Squirrel Hill that had this great wow. 
open mic on Tuesday nights that was just like all the some of the best players in the city would go there. Wow. And so we would just go there and we kind of had this, you know, he's Batman and I'm Robin. I'm his I'm his musical ward. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think of it that way, but but uh, no because actually Surly was going to the jam nights before me and I'm pretty shy person at first so it's really very much encouraged me to go and that's where we ended up through that is a lot of uh divine providence for me uh-huh. in terms of getting to play a lot in pittsburgh i always played wow. music but never like to this extent and meeting all the different musicians in pittsburgh and um being in that community so i think we've both kind of encouraged each other to to be a part of that it's so crazy like to me i mean i always think it's so amazing because i feel like we i mean something comes up a lot in this podcast but like i feel like the world it's like not just jewish creatives but in general i feel like we downplay the power of community when it comes to art you know and you're talking two people like one person encouraging the other and then you're going and then you build a whole experience out of that that's like really amazing that was big sorry that was uh, big for me too because coming from uh, I'm a Balichuva as well, so uh-huh. a big concern for me was my relationships with a lot of non-Jews that I play music with, because there's a lot of uh, spiritual foundations to those relationships. So, uh, thank God. I mean, I, I was have, spiritual foundations to in, in in playing music with someone else is a very intimate. Are you uh, saying they're just in general? It's a yeah. Spiritual. So with uh, now, when I first being becoming a Balichuva, you want to do everything right quote unquote or the way you think it's supposed to be done and you're hearing all kinds of things that sort of challenge some of your ideas on the world <laughs> so uh, thank god I, I mean i had a great friend who took me took me under his wing and sort of very much a uh, guy who was from from birth uh-huh. and he very much encouraged me in those relationships in terms of yeah you should have spiritual relationships with your non-jewish friends and that is, there's nothing in, inconsistent about you becoming more observant and continuing to play mm. music, you know. And uh, so that was very, thank God, very uh, encouraging and made me feel much more at home in Yiddishkeit mm. than just if I didn't have someone to guide me, you know. So. Wow. You guys have, so you guys, is it is it just you two in the band or is it how many people? No, are there's there? six, six people. Six people, and it's all f- from guys. Three or of us. Three of us are Lubavitch. Uh huh. One of us is is his mother's Jewish. Uh huh. Um, and then two non two non Jewish. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so you guys are kind of like um the I guess uh, what are the, what's their names uh Brooklyn Jazz Warriors to a certain extent like got the mix of. Uh, but yeah, it's interesting because your the name of it is is based off of a Jewish. Yeah. Like, well, it started off; it was all Jewish. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, every, we, at we, first. Uh huh. That's interesting. And then um, not not only because we wanted to. Uh, it started as jam sessions in our drummer's uh, living room, uh-huh. and it grew from there. But we uh, played a Purim show. Yeah. At one of the shuls, and really? everybody said you guys should play out, uh-huh. and then and we it was like a dare. <laughs> you know, can you guys, can we do it? Can we book a show out? And we did. And we, that show was crazy. The James Street show that yeah. it was like sold out. And um, there's like a group of people there that were taking shrooms. <laughs> this, was for, this yeah. was a Purim show? You no, said? this was after oh, Purim. this was after Purim. After Purim, we got the, we got the dare, you know. Can we can we book? I mean, it was a great venue. Oh, so it was like you're saying it was just like a normal like bar was like a bar or something. And yeah, it's a, wow. a place that's not unfortunately closed down recently. It's called James Street Gastropub. It's a very uh, historic place in Pittsburgh for jazz 
Um, uh, and uh, oh, I think I remember this. This was like I remember you guys were like talking it up. I think I remember. Like, yeah, we 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 definitely yeah. pushed that one, and that yeah. worked out really well. Yeah, um, that's really cool. It was interesting. Those guys, <laughs> those room guys. But it's it. You know, we, we're talking about like how I landed in music, and I was gonna say that. I find that, like, with animation or any kind of the visual arts, yeah. it's much harder to get Jews to care about it. Mm. With music, it's much easier to get people to, quote-unquote, listen. I mean, no pun intended, yeah. but... No, it's so funny, because I always talk... I mean, I talk about it all the time. I'm so jealous of musicians, like, as a writer. Because I think it's, in general, just music. There's something about music that is just... just and it's, I think, to a certain extent, especially with once in terms of Bali Chuva making an impact, kind of, I think, like, when I write, uh, even when I was more, like, mainstream sort of writing, even when I was writing for the Org, like, it was, uh, there's always going to be some level of divisiveness to it, I think, because it's written. Like, there's going to be some people that get it and some people that don't and some people that are upset by it, even if it's the tamest thing in the world, I've learned. And, um, but with music, it's this thing that, uh, you know, unless you're really, like, your lyrics are very clearly, obviously, you know, upsetting to people. Like, I think, for the most part, it's such a unifying experience. So Bali Chuva can have a real impact in that way. I think more than I think in that other arts. Yeah, for sure, there's much more of an openness to, yeah. like, you know. Well, I think it was something you told me, truly like, that I always liked was, uh, for instance, uh, and this, I've always remembered since you told me, but, like, uh, when you're having a conversation with words or you are writing an article, right. there may be all kinds of counter opinions that are going on. Right. So there's not necessarily as much room for harmony. Right. Whereas in music, you can, five people, six people can be playing and you can be playing a unis in unison. Mm -hmm. And there's not a disagreement, hopefully, when it's right. You know, mm -hmm. if you, of course, like you have to be careful about what your intentions are mm -hmm. and the music comes first. But, if you're given over to the music, so then you're all harmonizing. There's not, not, that, not to say that the written word isn't, you can't have a jam session, because you can, mm -hmm. but maybe with music, it's a little bit more easier if you hear a bass player, you know, boom, 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 you'd be like, okay, I'm going to throw this on yeah. top of People it. People take their guard down with music. Right. Louis Armstrong was playing to white audiences right. during segregation, mm. and, you know, he was coming out there, and... and you know, that was a time where people wouldn't ever allow something like that. But when he was playing to these audiences and he was playing like Louis Armstrong, right. you know, he, that was it a floored huge, people. It he floored, floored people. Yeah. People said this, people, somebody who makes music like that mm. has to be, has to have, you know, what pure, this, coming yeah. from a pure place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. That's really, that's really interesting. It reminds me actually of like, I feel like sports is also a little bit like that, like in terms of the way, like the Jackie Robinson was like this. He was able to make an impact just by, there's there's something when it comes to like beyond words, when it's just about performance, you know, like just like how how well is this person performing or how much does it move me, I guess, like yeah. when it comes to art at least. It's about like, Hana, probably. Hmm. Like you're saying, per, like for how much do, does a person get out of it? Yeah. So, like, wow. you, you know, if, like if you, you know, if you're rooting for Jackie Robinson, you might have never have ever Right, rooted for a black person before, but he's on your team and he's the best player on the team. And he's yeah. one of the best players of all time. And you're, wow. you know, you're going to, yeah, that's interesting. You think it's like interesting? Same with music, because you like have some. Once you get into it, get into the groove of it. There's uh, a personal investment, I guess. 
I mean, that's what's so interesting, too, is that, like, even when it wasn't black performers, it was, like, white guys doing black music. That was kind of, like, the bridge. Elvis. That, like, exactly. Elvis, like, that was, you know, and that, that was just where, in a sense, they were visionary for stealing the music because they understood that there was something deeper there, you know. Um well, and a lot of times too, it was probably the people who were handle, you know, some handling Elvis. You know, Elvis, you should do this. You know, why don't we get Elvis to do this? And like, wow. you know, the record companies ha have still do have, maybe less so now, but they they have some sway. Uh, you know, a good bit of sway. Yeah. If if you, I'm sure if you allow them. Not that I've ever been on a rec <laughs> record label, but I'm sure that you do have to, you know, you have to have integrity behind it. You know, like, it, and it can mm -hmm. be hard, I would imagine. Uh, you have to have integrity in, in terms of like what you're in it oh, for saying, you know yeah when the you're saying oh you internally need to have some integrity yeah like yeah. if some if somebody's you know because a lot of maybe musicians think well the way to be a musician is I'm gonna get big or something like that right. which I think is less and less now because the record companies with all the technology and everything they're becoming yeah. less relevant right so but I mean it, it used used to be that and still is to a certain extent that record companies want to push you probably in a certain direction, especially if you're influential. And you do, I would imagine you do have to stand up against that if you yeah. are going to. I wonder mm -hmm. if there's like a similar dynamic in the sense of like religious communities, like in the sense that, you know, there's always some, some larger force guiding us, even if we don't, not part of a record label, right? There's like a context that we're playing in. So like, or writing in or whatever it happens to be, I feel like because we're having... What's it called? The frat. We're having a fractured, much more fractured community than we used to have, in some ways, at least in terms of communications. Like, so I think it's interesting. Like, also maybe that there's more niche interest in certain kinds of art and that sort of thing. And I think it's easier nowadays for for niche people to find them, find each other. Right. You know, I play harmonica. Yeah. And um, and you know, in the last since I've been on social media. Mm -hmm. I'm Facebook friends probably with with the 30, 30 best harmonica players in the world. Oh, really? You know, like... Wow, that's cool. I'm definitely... Yeah. And taking lessons with them. Yeah, I'm taking lessons with some of the best harmonica players in the world. Wow. And, you know, it sounds super nerdy, and maybe it is, but... <laughs> but I'm just sound nerdy? That sounds we, awesome. We found each other, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I think yeah, that... That's very miraculous. Every yeah. also is like, you know, people are finding each other, you know, right. coming out, and I think that's really important. Yeah, I think Havria is an intentional, like we're intentionally, like we're trying to trying to use those dynamics, like to a certain extent. Um, yeah, um, I don't know if I ever said this on this podcast, but I might have. But the the inspiration for it actually was the atheist movement. Did I ever you were hearing? So the reason for that is like basically, I have this theory. I mean, it's not my theory, but it's a, a theory that basically the Internet creates a situation in which our inner lives, uh, we have an opportunity to connect with people that have similar inner lives to us. Like, so harmonica is actually a good example, of that, even though that's also something you live out, but where, and especially people who feel lonely when it comes to like their inner life, have, a, have an opportunity to connect with each other. So like atheists are one of the first groups of people that really took advantage of that. And I don't think it was necessarily intentionally. It was kind of just like, I'm this guy living in the South. I don't believe in anything that anyone's saying around me. You know, my whole culture is built around believing in God, but I don't believe in God. And then they, this person just has nowhere else to go. So they go on the Internet, they talk with someone, whatever. 
and um, and now they do now these folks are doing conventions. You know, they're doing they have churches. <laughs> like um, it's unbelievable. Like it's really like, neat that they do that. Too, <laughs> that they recognize. <laughs> Did you see the TED talk with this guy talking about? It was like religion 2.0. No. no, it's amazing TED talk with this guy yeah. who's like, he's an atheist. Uh-huh. Just just getting up there and speaking, he's like, listen, guys. Is this Sam Harris by any chance? Was no. No, okay. But right. I, this guy gets up there and he says, uh, listen, um, we, you know, if you're atheist, then you don't believe in religion. Mm-hmm. But but that doesn't mean everything in religion is a negative thing. And you don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. You know, there's there's a lot of really positive things. And he starts going through all these different faiths, you mm. know, positive things wow. i think i think he mentions mikvah for judaism really yeah wow I, i'm not positive if he remembers if he says mikvah or, Sh- or shabbos but one of the you know he p- points out something like uh, shabbos is usually like the one that a lot of uh like non-religious peoples tend to point out especially like in these technological times. digital detox yeah digital yeah let's take one day yeah digital, like whatever yeah anyway sorry go ahead no i was so just pointing know. out just saying you know it's interesting that 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 uh I don't know why I mentioned that 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 uh, the atheists, uh, you know, that they're. Well, I think because it it shows that, you know, they were missing the thing that was being provided to everyone else, which was community. Like they were they were missing connection with people, and so it's interesting because there was actually an essay written by oh I can't remember his name, maybe it was Bertrand Russell. I could be wrong, and his it was about when when cars were like becoming popular, and. Sorry, I know I'm talking a lot today, but there was... <laughs> it's because you got me excited. Yeah. You know? But uh, there was, but he wrote an essay about cars, and he was saying that cars are going to create a situation in which people aren't going to feel like they have to abide by the norms of their community anymore because they can go away. <laughs> they can leave their community. You know, like they, they can just take get in a car and move and or go somewhere else. And um, And it's so fascinating to me because I feel like the internet is like all of these things that have been happening are kind of like a hyper version of that. So it's so funny because, you know, we're talking, talking so much about seeing Hashem in the world. And these, this is like, to me, the most obvious one where our inner lives are becoming our outer lives, you know, like, and it, we see a lot of people see it as negative. That's how you get the alt-right together and blah, blah, blah. But like, it's also how you get funky juice together yeah it's just like this what we're doing right now yeah like how would we have ever connected without you know our the the like the creative balchuva need to connect with other creative balchuva balichuva you know i don't know i think a lot of a lot of things to uh with well like i don't know at least in in the west or at least in america because i'm that's the context but like there's a lot of um emotional suppression that is Mm. Uh, kind of etched in the society, like you're not. It's very uh, tab, you know, taboo or what, what's the word? It's very um, people don't like being vulnerable. Natural, like they do naturally, but they're encouraged against it. We're encouraged mm. against it our whole life because we have to be big. You yeah. know, we live in this. So you gotta you have, be a man. Gotta be a man. You gotta do yeah. all these things. And I think if you know, it, hopefully, people find people that they're able to. Hopefully, emotionally open up with a bit. They can start talk, talking about that kind of stuff or anything that they need. I think the more people don't talk, a lot of stuff gets swept under the rug. And the longer that it's swept under the rug, the more that you're not approaching it itself. You're mm. dealing with things that come as a as a consequence of pushing things under the rug. Wow. So, as long as people are talking with each other, then that you know that's 
really good thing. And I think that that it seems to be that even with all the seemingly negative things that are happening in the world, there's a lot of uh, conversation going on that should have probably been going on for many, many years and is really just now having a platform, I think. That's deep. I think it's... um... I just lost my train of thought. I was going to say something. <laughs> it sounded <laughs> really good. Come back to me in a second. <laughs> you, you seemed really, like, ready to, to launch into it. Yeah. No, I had something that was good. Oh, live music. Uh-huh. I just read an article about live music that, like, people who go see live shows frequently, they, like, it adds 10 years to their life or something like I that. I saw that. Yeah, yeah. Really? So there's... <clears throat> wow. Um, so come see Chillin'. <laughs> um, there's, no, but there's... there's um, they did a study on... on uh, these uh, nuns, I believe, uh, who were like super, uh, they had like a, a, a very positive like connection with each other and whatever. And they all smoked. <laughs> they all like didn't take care of themselves that well. But they all lived like really long. And because, and basically the, the conclusion was it was because they had a really strong communal wow. structure. Um, yeah, and cool. yeah, there's been all these, like the beginning of the book Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, he mm-hmm. talks about this uh, community that also like it was like an Ital- it was like this Italian community I think that transposed like moved I think it was even in Pennsylvania possibly like they just kind of all moved to one town and they were like all not eating you know they were eating fatty foods and smoking and whatever and they all lived long lives and they didn't have any heart problems which would you would assume they would and again it was because they were like it was actually because like the kids would stay in their parents homes and it was like all this very strong communal bonding that was going on that actually like kept them uh, kept them alive <laughs> it's really I amazing. think it's I think it's really important a lot of, by the way I, a lot of your articles mm-hmm. about about integrating as a balchuva those are the ones that are always my favorite because they, that's, that's like my right. my kind of obsession yeah you know um, yeah. yeah 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 the um, just watching so many even friends kind of fall through the cracks. Right. Um, and I, I'm not sure people really realize that in a, in a Froom community, all the people that, that grow up in a Froom community, maybe not if the parents are Bali Chuba, but people who have a, a long history in a Froom community, mm-hmm. they have parents and aunts and uncles and right. siblings and, and, and family friends and a whole support system. Mm-hmm. Who don't think that their behaviors are crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and, exactly. And, you know, by Chuba, we're like, our parents think that, you know, we're, we're just like, what happened? You lost your kid? mind. <laughs> what, what, my kid has lost his mind. And like, you know, and you then, you, know, a cult so you don't, you like, you have, and, and some people might even be encouraged to break ties. Yeah. Yeah. God forbid. Right. Are you saying by, by like uh, the from world? Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's like right. some people would like, you know, don't don't surround yourself with those people because those mm-hmm. people are going to drag you into a lifestyle that you don't want that yada yada. Yeah. But what ends up happening a lot of times is <clears throat> there's collateral damage that happens in from communities mm. where there'll be cover ups or certain things will happen. Right. A close friend of mine, you know, his daughter was was the only person disciplined in a group of girls. Uh-huh. They were all misbehaving, but the other girls, their parents were, no in, way. In, you know, and th- that was wow. a, that's a devastating thing. It devastated her. Yeah. You know, 12 year old girl. She's not interested now. I mean, she's totally burned by it. And it's because her father was Balchuba? Bal- it was just no, yeah. Like it, I mean, it seemed like because a lot of these other girls, yeah. 
it was just a missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. Instead of like the parents being like, I don't even know what it was that they were all involved in, but mm-hmm. somehow the stigma came onto the the Balchuva girl, like ruining them. Mm-hmm. And um, oh, okay, okay, and, like that she was a bad influence, yeah, or whatever. Okay. Oh, I see. And, okay. And um, instead of like parents just being like, mm-hmm. my kids, my teenager is a teenager. Yeah. And this is a great opportunity to to show a positive example and to educate people. Yeah. Instead of using that, it, it became like let's 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 put all of the. She's obviously a bad influence. Yeah, she's a bad influence, and and whatever. So it it sort of becomes like a self fulfilling prophecy in a way. Yeah, like, and it teaches a terrible behavior for some of these kids. That just like I'm able to do whatever I mm. want. Yeah, and um. And there's no, wow. there's no consequences. And these people, yeah. you know, these people are kind of, I mean, the feeling that my friend had, and I certainly have felt this before, uh, not so much in Pittsburgh, thank God, mm-hmm. but in other places, just, you know, the feeling of being like dispensable. Mm-hmm. Like there's a class. Like, uh, yeah, there's uh, a class thing. Where a hi- uh, yeah, uh, a hierarchy. It's like, wow. you know, so I think it's like. And there's nobody to catch them if that happens. That's yeah. what I was saying. There's no support system. There's no net there for like when a when a family gets like f- feels like shamed or ostracized or just pushed out or whatever. Right. There's nobody to catch them. Mm. And um, wow, that's kind of what I hope. You know, that's my vision for Avria is just like n- n- the support system. It's really interesting because like I think one of the things it was so crazy to me like when we started in the shamas that like we started getting um i'm only using this phrase because it's what other people use people know what i'm talking about no you know what? i'm not gonna use the phrase people that left orthodoxy that grew up orthodox and left orthodoxy so like we started getting a lot of them coming to our events like more and more and i and i thought it was so interesting because it's like um i realized that these were people like that wanted and uh, you know what? I've only started to try to comprehend it. Before it was just like, oh, I'm just we're creating a space. We're a bunch of creatives. We're connecting. I was trying to. It was only like recently I've started to try to understand the dynamics of what's been going on with it. Um, and I think what I realize is is how much these people actually want. At least the ones that come to our stuff and that write for us and stuff, they want to be part of the Jewish world. Like they, at least in some way. Like I mean, not. Not obviously in in their communities, but they I, like why else would they come? Like it doesn't make any sense to me, right? Like it it feels weird to me almost. <laughs> you know, like why are you hanging out with me? And then I realized, like besides the fact that we're both creatives, there ha- like there is something going on here where we're all we we want to be Jews. We we care, and that's what I, f- I find so ironic about people that get upset about, um, you know, people that cause a stir (laughs) to say the least in the orthodox but i think they do that they don't do that when a person is in the process of becoming a balchuva they don't do what when a person is like coming around for the first time whether they go into chabad or aish or whatever outreach organization is putting their best and brightest out there to to bring people in right those people tend to be exceptional and that's why they're doing it right but a lot of them tend to be like you know i always had people telling me go slow Right. You don't have to do everything. Right. You know what I mean? If you didn't put on, you know, you don't you didn't put on to fill in at all last week, put them on one time this week. Right. Whatever it is, like there's this encouragement mm-hmm. that's like, you know, it's I think the 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 thing that I've heard from a lot of people is it's not all or nothing. 
Mm-hmm. Yiddishkeit is not all or nothing. <laughs> and that's what they tell you when you're like becoming a Balchuva. But then in the community, yeah. the community, they will tell you it's all or nothing. Right. And that's why these people that you're talking about, they're like, okay, well, if it's all or nothing, I'm not sticking around yeah. because I'm not going to embrace that thing that you want me to. Yeah. But they, but those people don't want it to be all or nothing either. Yeah. And that's like what I'm saying, you know, with Havria, that's, it, it's, it's not all or nothing. Yeah. That's so funny. I remember we, we had a guy who was like not, I, I, I thought that I was just secular, like, cause he was just, he came, he was invited by uh, my friend Saul and he. You know Saul, right? Like Saul Sudan, I'm sure you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he inv- Saul knows everybody. <laughs> he invited this guy. I was just convinced he was secu- uh, secular or whatever. And I ended up finding out that he grew up from. And I don't think he even categorizes himself as OTD or whatever. He just, you know, he just doesn't wasn't connected anymore. All of a sudden, he's like, oh, here's a space that I at least, like, can come to every now and then, you know? Like, it's not like he's a super member. But I think the point being that there's this, like... There is this need, like you're describing. There is definitely a need for that. Um, but then you, like, I, maybe I read one of, you, I think one of your articles that was about, you know, like the Rebbe had to know that this. <laughs> That's uh, my favorite one, by the way. Convergence oh, yeah. was going to happen. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, like, and uh, I know oh, be, being friends with Sruli for so long, Sruli would say very similar things over Shabbos conversations. And then I saw that article. Uh-huh. It's been a while. I can see you saying, but, uh, the Shlochem need us as much as we need the Shlochem. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 Wow. <laughs> yeah, because there's going to be, it's like, there's some people, um, we get, we do get programmed, all mm-hmm. of us, mm-hmm. growing up. By what's around us, because we're uh, we're small, like we're we're de- completely dependent on people who are ten feet tall, seemingly, and they're going to tell you what gives you approval and what doesn't give you approval, mm-hmm. and those types of things. And when you c- become a balichuva too, you're like a new child again too, who needs to go through that learning right. of what's right and what's not right and what do I do. That if you it 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 does have a little bit of an aspect of childhood where there yeah. is a certain aspect of feeling ashamed when you don't do something right. Not because somebody shamed you, but because you're like a small child trying to learn something that you're sincere about too. So I think people struggle, at least I think, um, like I have an anxiety disorder, so I have to be in touch with my own anxiety in order to handle it. Some people, I think once they grab, and I did too in the beginning, once you grab hold of this thing, you you fear that you're going to lose it. So you start becoming accidentally closed-minded either removing yourself from things or pushing people away well, because you don't want to be this thing taken from you, but it's really coming from a place of, of insecurity and anxiety, which if, I think if we, could, if we could be honest with ourselves about that, it would be a much, it would be a much healthier way to mm-hmm. a, a, address it. Remember the first time you flicked a switch on accidentally on Chavez? <laughs> <laughs> and you thought yeah. the world was like, like yeah. the walls were going to fall in or something. You're just going to like that feeling spontaneously combust or something like that. I don't know. It's like that. <laughs> yeah. But my, 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 my best friend and, and my mentor, you know, who really, um, keep, I think if I didn't have him, I probably wouldn't be observant. I don't like the word from either, but I like when people ask me if somebody's from, because I always say, yeah, he's from New Jersey. Right? <laughs> but, uh, but like, um, yeah, uh, I lost my train of thought. What did you tell me? That's my fault. I put that out there. I thought. <laughs> anyway. No, but you get, it's, it's yeah. important like that. It's, it could, some people, we lose ourselves not because we want to lose ourselves, it's because we want to do the right thing. Yeah. But we don't realize that Oh, it's doing the right thing would be getting in touch with yourself, 
But you're not allowed. You have to find the right people who are going to be able to talk about those things. I think not everybody's. If people are touchy and and somewhat scared, and they don't want to talk about things that somehow might challenge their own cognitive dissonance. Yeah, nobody yeah, wants yeah. to feel cognitive dissonance, so people avoid uh, it. Mm-hmm. So you're saying like people that like Bali Chula, they become from, and then they're trying. They try to kind of protect themselves from losing their. Well, I think it's like um, like, at least for me, it was like you know I. I you start. You do become. Every, I think most Balachubas become a little bit staunch at first, mm-hmm. or st- stark, right. or whatever, right. because you wanna wanna make sure that like I didn't have this, and I want. I don't want to lose it, mm-hmm. and you stop a little bit, not un- intentionally, but you stop thinking intellectually fully and a little bit more robotic yeah. by accident, and you have to pull yourself out of that. Or if you're Lubavitch, uh, you could be like, I gotta nail this. Perfect, because I want Mashiach to come. <laughs> you know, I and if I this, don't do this, I gotta I, get I, this just yeah. right. You know, so to, wow. you know. Um, yeah, I, just, I remember someone wrote. I think Rebecca Klempner wrote this article about being like OCD and from, and she was just like, I can't even imagine how that how, how that would go. Well, that's so me. I mean, you have OCD as well. Yeah, yeah. That's your anxiety disorder. Oh, I yeah. See. So I mean, I, wow. I mean. uh it's it's ac- I actually going through uh, studying cognitive behavioral therapy really yeah. outlines aspects of Hasidus that I think are r- yeah. so crucial, especially like distinguishing between what is intellect and what is emotion, yeah. and how is my emotion affecting my intellect, my intellect, and vice versa, and things like that. Yeah. Cognitive behavioral therapy addresses that right away because yeah. you know you it te- teaching you that you can feel a certain way and act differently. Yeah. I don't feel like going up, but I'm going to do it anyway. Your self-talk. Right. Uh, like you're not your gonna... thoughts don't define you. Right, your well. thoughts don't define you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow, that's really interesting. I have a, my therapist is very CBT-oriented, so yeah. it's like a very... I, it amazes me to see the similarities. Yeah. I'd never thought about, like, according to CBT, mm-hmm. chocolate that zine good. Mm. Think good, it will be good. Wow. For the, you know, if you think about it in terms of CBT, yeah. it doesn't mean, like, visualize a positive outcome to this. Right. Right, like I'm going into the football game, and I'm not going to think about losing or whatever. <laughs> I think that what it, the way CBT would look at it is yeah. the you know the narrator that all of us have in our head yeah. that's constantly commenting on things. Yeah. A lot of people are totally unaware of it. Yeah, like so many people are walking around mm-hmm. with zero awareness of what's going on in their heads. So many times you ask a person, or they think that it's it's they think that's who they are, right? Like, like they define themselves based on those thoughts, right? And then they so there's that metacognition know. thing, right? Yeah, where you like take a step back and you become the observer of your thoughts, right? Right, that right. they do with mindfulness and stuff like that. Right. So like, I was thinking about it. You know what it means according to CBT, chocolate design good just means like, is the voice in my head, is it a coach or a critic? Mm. You know, is it is it encouraging? Is it is it you yeah. know better luck next time, or is it you know? Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I literally had this conversation, like not chocolate sign good, but like, but this uh, idea. I was literally speaking about this on, t- on Tuesday with my therapist because I'm trying to. It was, I'm trying to remember what it was. I think it was like, oh yeah, like that. I'm I, I have this uh, like fear of, like fear of success slash fear of failure thing. You know. Um, and so I was talking to him about this and, and I was, and I was, I was realizing like I had this day that was like kind of unproductive. And for me, that's like, I, I go, I like kind of spiral into negative thoughts when that happens, like very anxious, intense thoughts and whatever. 
And I remember we were, I was talking about how I kind of caught myself and, and started looking at it differently and was like telling myself, you know, the truth was that like whatever that I, that, that, um, that if I just kind of stopped thinking like that, then I could just focus on doing my stuff and all these things. Anyway, so he was saying that, um, he was saying like, did you know that you could also see even that part, even before you caught yourself, like even, even that part was also productive because that's what led you to having those thoughts. Like, um, and because, you know, like whatever. And it was kind of like, I was, at the time I was thinking, oh, that's ridiculous. Like, <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Um, but then he was, it, but then it kind of like hit me. And I think it's like very connected to what you were saying, where he was saying like, look, it's just about how you perceive what happened. You can either have a narrative that's like, my life is a sham and a failure and a this and a that. And we don't realize like in my mind, because the inertia of my life has led me to having those thoughts like that, we don't realize it doesn't have to have we don't have to have that narrative I don't and have we have, to have grooves like real grooves in our brain right, right that are that are come from conditioning and right. like thinking differently apparently can rewire the grooves yeah um yeah it's really true it's really crazy yeah yeah my my, my uh, behavioral therapist one i mean like we we've done t a ton of uh, like straight ocd work over the years but also like um I think in terms of thinking positive, sometimes uh, it's also like, well, yeah, like, I, I mean, not that I'm saying anything different, maybe just adding, but uh, like I was working at a job and um, and I wasn't going to keep this job because I, I, was, I was very sensitive and the boss was very, you know, a little bit pushy at mm -hmm. first. And so I was talking to my therapist, this was years ago. And uh, my therapist was like, well, wait a minute, what, what kind of job is it? You know? And I said, well, I'm working at this fruit and vegetable stand. And um, so she, she, was, uh, she was telling me, you know, listen, I've, I've worked at places like this when I was going to college and stuff like that. You have to understand that this woman's business, that's like, that's like her life and livelihood. Mm -hmm. So she tried to help me point out, like, be careful not to take what she's doing personally, what she's saying personally. And I decided, okay, you know, I'm going to try to do what my therapist, does, you know, said is encouraging me. And I ended up keeping the job for like two years. And we, me and that person became very close. And she was mm -hmm. like, she had a heart of gold. She's like a Sabra, you know, exterior is tough. But like, once you get to know a person like that, you know, the very uh, heart of gold, you know, type of person. But without that, without talking with my therapist about that to get like, well, reframe your, your mm -hmm. mind. So I would have thought, like, I can't do this. Yeah. Uh, but she said, no, you, I think you can do this, but you're going to have to look at it differently. Right. And she told, gave me steps. How could I look at it differently? And, that, and thank God I kept that job for When I go years. to New York, yeah. if I tell myself that everybody says F you, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. then I don't have to take it personally that it's, that it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That it's a, uh, you know, yeah. it's, it's just a thing. It's like, hello in New York. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's so funny. I mean, I think, I think, uh, like for me at least, I think with art, like the reactions to my work, like this, it's been like a constant work of reframing and reframing and reframing because otherwise, I think uh, for people that are, when when we define ourselves by externality, which is like such a such a block, I think for artists, like that, or for anyone obviously, but especially for artists whose job is entirely based on kind of like first going internal, right? Like um, the it's it's been very interesting to kind of like that I've noticed that what's what's interesting is that the more like 
in the last few years, like one of the things that's been an interesting dynamic is I've been upsetting more and more people <laughs> and been less and less affected by their anger. And I find that, I mean, obviously that also then encourages, it's a, a feedback loop where I'm able then to be more, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but more audacious maybe. Um, we got our first like, well, I'm sure we, it, there've been more, but the other day somebody told us that somebody said ne- something negative about yeah. us, like on Facebook about the band. Oh, really? And I was like, "Wow, we're big enough that people are talking <laughs> trash. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're relevant enough that people have to like, you know." Right. I think people today. I, I think one of the big things in the wor- world today that at least um, I'm sorry if I keep keep taking over, but uh, the one of the things in the world that's like very frustrating to see is that people are. Like seemingly, not, I mean, I'll include myself too, but like people in general, we are very emotionally, immediately emotionally reactive, mm. generally. Mm-hmm. Like in conversation, social media, everywhere, everyone's just emotionally reacting and really have not processed what the other person has said in the first place. So there's a lot of, I feel, and in and, and families too, unfortunately. Like I come, I come from a divorced family, so, you know... Uh, if you, if you're not hearing each other at home, you know, and you're not hearing each other out here, are, you know, what are we really hearing? And are we just emotionally reacting to each other without ever understanding what anybody said? You know, you know what's interesting to me about Mayach Shalit Alalev? Can you translate just for yeah, just I was really Mayach Shalit Alalev is the mind controls the heart, mm-hmm. right? Normally, a person's born, their heart is running the show, their baby, and their heart's telling them to be happy and sad, and it's controlling the brain. But hopefully, as a person matures. Their, their brain can get a little bit more control yeah. over the emotions. <clears throat> the example that's always used in Chassidus is there's a Chassid of the Alter Rebbe, first Lubavitcher Rebbe, who was spying on Napoleon mm-hmm. on behalf of the Alter Rebbe. And, um, the, oh. and Napoleon decided, he, he made this whole elaborate thing. He lined up all these people saying, one of you guys is a spy. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he built it up and built it up and built it up. And then he... He ran over and he grabbed this one chassid. Mm-hmm. He grabbed him and he put his hand on his heart because he wanted to feel the, you know, the, the pounding, right? And that would be the, the giveaway that this is the guy. Mm-hmm. But the chassid's heart was steady, mm-hmm. right? He kept a steady heart. And, and, the, and so that's the example given from my excellent to live. So I think that's a really fascinating story because at that moment, he wasn't, he wasn't learning Gemara. Right? He wasn't involved in a, in a Jewish activity. Mm-hmm. He was involved in a life or death activity. <laughs> mm. He was doing so. And, and the situation was that he, he, it came up that he, he, by all rights, should have gotten upset or freaked out. But his brain was there to, to, to make sure that his, his emotions didn't mm-hmm. get the best of him. So I think about that, and it's like, wow, I see so many people, mm-hmm. like, Blowing up in shul about stuff, like oh, yeah? screaming at people sometimes. Really? Yeah, and it's just like you're like, wow, like, wow. I I thought that anger is like a vaytazara, <laughs> and 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 I thought like we're yeah. supposed to control our emotions. So like, are you really getting that upset well. about you know X Y Z, whatever it is? Like yeah. I I just it's interesting. I um, there's this uh, so. I could probably use her name. I think it's probably fine. Chloe Valdari, you know, she, so we, uh, we kind of like spar sometimes like online, um, but like our, our 
connection started actually on Hevriacast. So, no, I, we had met before, but like Hevriacast was the first time we'd sat down and talked. Um, but since then, we were like, oh, we have to talk more because you're very, very interesting. So it's interesting because sometimes I want to freak out on her <laughs> online, you know, and, and every now and then I will actually like react strongly to her. And then, so it's really interesting because just the other day I had another lunch with her and I was, and we were talking about the exact same stuff that just the other day had just annoyed the hell out of me with her. <laughs> and, um, and uh, we were just sitting there calmly talking and, and, and walking and talking it through and, and whatever. And really, and we were, and it was interesting because I was kind of um, also trying to make sure that I was still you know, because I think sometimes we also can be too kind in a sense, like not like quiet ourselves to a sense. So it was interesting to have that conversation and to realize how much we were having, we were having conversation about the exact same topics. And yet that, that reactive uh, experience that especially happens online, but also in shul, I guess, is, uh, um, it's just fascinating to, it was, it was a fascinating, like juxtaposition of the two, you know, mm-hmm. where we're like, you kind of realize how how certain situations can make you more reactive than others. Social yeah. media is programmed. Yeah, it's made for that. To yeah. to get people to have emotional reactions. Right. I mean, it's just like it's it's in there. I don't know. It's just. Yeah, that's what they uh, they call it an engagement. <laughs> but the, what they mean is like you react quickly. That's like well, that's the whole goal is to make you react quickly. Well, think about yeah. it. Like when it used to be, if you if you. If you read propaganda, you would have to get it in the newspaper, right? Or like, let's talk, you know, or in the movie theater. Right. Or like, and once television came on, you got it on three channels that were on for a couple hours. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Now the propaganda is like, we we take the propaganda with us and we, (laughs) and we, we take it in constantly. Mm -hmm. We're all, everything that's on social media is some kind of propaganda for something. I think. I mean, there's some kind of emotional reaction that it's all trying to yeah. create, and um, it's so interesting. It's so funny because, like, with the beginning of this conversation, we're talking about how the internet is like allowing us to live out our inner lives, <laughs> and at the same time, there's this other. And I just, this is what it actually fascinates me, and like, it's something that's actually come up quite a few times on this. I was talking to my rabbi the other yeah. week about just like I don't necessarily think all of the yelling. Mm. On social media and the anger and all the feelings and front, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. Yeah, that's interesting. I think that like mm. there's a lot of groups that are starting that are, that had never ever interacted with each other, right. and they just had decades or even centuries of just negative propaganda about mm. each other, and here they are for the first time, kind of like airing out sometimes hundreds of years of dirty laundry that they've been wanting to say. Wow. And um, that's what you were saying too, right? Like that. These yeah, are conversations well, we need. Like one thing was, uh, yeah, having. like um, that's so interesting. Yeah, like we yeah. don't realize all the context of what we're talking. Yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. And Sorry, also too, you, no, no, uh, no. I, 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 I've posted. Um, like it's it's interesting. Like um, we're we're uh, we're very much uh, maybe uh, probably intentionally a lot of times kept pretty ignorant in America. Um, about a lot of different things. So one of the, you know, one of those things that is coming out more now is like, okay, police brutality and um, uh, you know, p- uh, police uh, treatment of people of color and things like that. And uh, I was, I posted some things on my Facebook site recently, and I was interested to see, you know, friends who I know are not racist, 
and I don't consider them racist or anything like that. I'm not going to react that way. But when I was posting what I was posting, like to me, it's I've sort of accepted like, and I, and I've, I guess I've maybe studied and studied a bit to know like no, there's a, there's actually a systemic problem, mm-hmm. um, and I think that um, so specifically some of my some not to make it about color itself, but some of my white friends who uh, who I know are not racist and or don't... Are not, You're saying but, like they're not hateful towards They're not hateful. Like, yeah. They just don't realize. Right. They don't, they they don't understand. Nuance. I mean, it's in nuance. a way, that's kind of what quote-unquote white privilege is, is, right. is the privilege, so to speak, of being ignorant of mm-hmm. what it's like to yeah. not be white, you know, and, and to face the same you know, situations. So, but it's interesting that, you know, and people might get reactive about, like I like on social media, I, I try not to get reactive. I try to see like where people are coming from mm-hmm. because a lot of times I don't know. And I, I was interested to see like a few of my friends were like, you know, they, they, they really, they didn't take like strong issue with it, but they were like, can you like show us in like statistics, statistics. or something? <laughs> and I was like, no, I don't, I'm not into the statistics thing because statistics are just numbers you know mm-hmm. and you don't they don't have a real human what, I say, to, what, I, what I say to some of these people is just like listen whether or not you believe it's true mm-hmm. is irrelevant because mm-hmm. there are millions of people that do believe it's true and they're very upset about it <laughs> and yeah. by you not believing it's true you're not helping the situation at all but i think That's what's really cool is that like for instance that there was a uh, someone on on uh, c-span i saw this going around there was a black woman on c-span a white man called up uh-huh. And he said, um, I want to admit, I'm, I think I'm prejudiced. Mm. Like, I hold prejudices that I know are wrong. What can I do about this? Mm-hmm. this so this so woman... It's on C-SPAN? It's on C-SPAN. And the, and the woman said, you know, um, well, like, first of all, like, all I can say is thank you for, like, that's an amazing thing that you just did, mm-hmm. that you can be honest about that. And why don't, like, hey, why don't we meet up more? So they got together more. They're talking more. And, uh, you know, just two people. No, no longer is it in the context of color because the person is now coming to speak with someone that he's had all these prejudices about, but now he's like meeting face to face. So I can throw that stuff out the window now. Yeah. If, I, if I'm really thinking clearly, I can say, wait a minute, this stuff that I learned was crap. Mm. So I got to throw it out the window. And I think those things are coming together on social. If, if you don't allow, like my friends who had you know, who had questions about what I was posting, it was interesting to me. Because yeah. I don't necessarily know, we don't always talk about that stuff. Yeah. So it's an interesting conversation to get into, not in a reactive way, but just like, hey, let's try to help, you know, educate each other. Well, I see bit. most conversations on social media go, like somebody drops some kind of ridiculous statement <laughs> and somebody else decides to say, like, based on that statement, you are an evil person. And then, and then it goes, like, it, go, it, it escalates from there. And you just, all of a sudden, I see it all the time, just these two people just insulting each other. And they're not even, like, they're not even... Well, they've, they're not on the point anymore. They're just bashing each other. But what's, what's interesting is that, like, what I, what I find fascinating about this is, like, this idea that ultimately, like, this is for the good because we're having these, like, like all these, like, yes, there's, like, the bashing or whatever, but... It's part of that is like the collateral damage, I guess, of like having conversations that I haven't had, we haven't had before. Like, and I, now I, you can I, have them without, yeah. and you're not, but it's not like let's have a. Rea- I, I have you to can explain, sit and think. I explain. You know? I mean, I try to explain to my white friends what I what I understand from what people mean about white privilege. It took mm. it took a while for me to right. to like hear what people were saying about it because I didn't, I couldn't. 
couldn't understand it at, at first until I actually engaged people and asked questions, mm-hmm. you know, and and yeah. trying to figure out what, you know, what is it that's, you know, really, people are really meaning. I think a lot of times people get defensive without even really, yeah. you know. And what, what's interesting is I feel like one of the, at, on my end, like, I feel like I've gotten a big, a lot of messages <laughs> from people and there's validity to it. I don't want to say that there's no validity to it, but a lot of messages from people of like, be careful about being too divisive or too to this or to that, like you want to be a unifier. Cause I think that was kind of the image. I think you and I got over some fights about that. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, but it's an interesting, it's an interesting discussion. Cause I remember I actually quoted this yesterday. So that's why it's in my head. I was, someone had said this to me recently or just yesterday. Um, someone I really respect. And I, we were kind of talking about this and I remember I had, there was, I quoted the, this, that part in, Letters from a Birmingham Jail. Have you have you read that by Martin Luther King? Uh, uh, you should aspects of it. Oh yeah, yeah such yeah. a good, yeah. so fascinating. Because in general, we hear Martin Luther King is. Uh, we tend to hear the the larger critiques, but this was something. It's very. It's been kind of brought up a lot since I think the election because it's kind of a reminder of the dangers of of being a moderate kind of. And so he, he's like calling out white moderates in this in this letter. And he says, so there's this whole thing about, he says, he, he he's, and he's speaking very strongly, he says, like, that white, he sees white moderates as more, he's, he's starting to see white moderates as more dangerous than the KKK and whatever, because they're, whatever, and, and, and one of the things, one of the reasons he gives is because they're looking to preserve a, neg- what is it, I'm trying to remember the exact wording, but I think it was like, a negative piece versus like a positive piece. Negative piece is one in which other people have to suffer for stability, kind of like the stability of the society. Mm-hmm. You know, the one of the, I mean, if you think about it, Martin Luther King was creating a very unstable society. He made all these crazy news headlines. He was causing a lot of disruption in the world. He was going know. after fin- for like financial equality next. Right, that too. That I mean, his next. Uh, but target. I'm saying, like, even his methods were like at the time they were considered extreme by by the moderates. Like they were saying, like you're being too, you're doing too much. Like it's too intense. Not just like they in theory agreed with his ideals, but they actually thought. And he was saying, like, you know, this is the thing. This is a transition that we need to go through as a society. We need to experience this negativity, bring it to light, so that we can address it. Because if we're not addressing it, then we're never going to have positive peace. Which means like. People actually, not not that we're all pretending we get along, but we actually get along. You know, we actually yeah. have justice. We actually have, you know. That's why I believe there can never be peace in Israel until oh, yeah. until they until they both sides allow normalization mm. and like you know normalization. What sense? And just seeming seeing being able to like sit down with the other person for coffee <laughs> and 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 like like see their humanity. Like, right. And, you know, and hear somebody's, to hear somebody who's like, listen, I'm from this refugee camp and my life sucks <laughs> and my family's life sucks. And, you know, we're, we're not happy about being here and we don't like being treated like this. And this status quo needs to change. Yeah. You know, like there's nothing wrong with saying that, like, yeah. or hearing somebody say that. Right. And recognizing like, wow, that, that does really suck. Yeah. That's really interesting because for me that was that was actually what changed a lot of my what I realized was that changed a lot of my views on Israel was meeting settlers like that really affected my views in a lot of ways. But then I realized like I, ha- I never sat down with Palestinians really. I don't think I ever and, and only in America have I done that, not in Israel. And I think like 
And it's unfortunate. Like, if it affected me so much to sit down with Seth. People are doing it over there, but it's much yeah. more stigmatized, and it's right. it's kind of dangerous to do it Right, it can be there. dangerous, for sure. I mean, there was some story where they had, I'm trying to remember, something like Palestinians had organized some sort of, like, interfaith get-together or whatever, and then right afterwards they were all, like, censured by the, whatever. I don't remember exactly what happened, but it was some, some sort of, there were definitely negative repercussions, basically. Let's put it that way. I love but, Menachem Froman. I'm trying, I don't know that it's, I don't think. Oh, you, you love Menachem Froman. Uh-huh. He was the Rav of Tekoa. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he He's was like... Epic. Right? Epic personality. Yeah. He was a settler. Yeah. He believed in the right for Yidin to live, right. like, in Eretz Yisrael. But he always said, like, why does it have to be a Jewish state? Mm. Like, who, why do we have to call it, like, some secular Jewish state? Like... According to him, Zionism just means that Jews should be able to live in Israel and be, you know, be free to, to be on their land. But he said, when did that exclude anyone else? Mm-hmm. Like, when does it, when does it, you know, become, now we're going to say, like, obviously Israelis would say, well, you know, we have a lot of multiculturalism and everything like that in, mm-hmm. in Israel, right? We have a lot of Muslims and a lot of um, Christians, Christians and, and Baha'i and whatever. Like, there is, it is a lot of multiculturalism. But I'm just saying, like, Menachem Froman would like, he would, he said that they're not going to make peace. The governments are not going to make peace. Mm -hmm. He says it's going to take the religious leaders and the people. Mm. That's really interesting. I always, I have this theory that um, just in general, not just with Israel, but like in general, I think that religious Muslims and religious Jews are the most, and specifically I mean Orthodox, I think, are the most likely um, like actual allies with each other when it comes to all sorts of tensions between the communities because as much as like obviously right now it would seem like the opposite like we share so much so much more in a way than like a like a liberal muslim with a orthodox jew or a liberal jew with an with a religious muslim you know um I love that and thing you shared the other day in Germany about all those Muslims marching with, like, yarmulkes. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. You know? That's amazing. And yeah. Jews will do that when they try to outlaw hijabs. I don't know, how to, I don't know if I pronounced that right. Right. Hijab, but, yeah. but, but, you know, they'll also do this, a similar thing. Um, yeah, I mean, and also uh, banning kosher food is also an issue there, like, because they, it tends to also affect halal or, the, and, or uh, what's it called, circumcision. All these things are, are so intric- intricately connected. All of a sudden... You see this unifying of, of people. It's like, it's really fascinating. Well, we were yeah. talking, so we, we were saying like, so I, th- I'm, I don't know if it's a conspiracy. I don't think it's a conspiracy. <laughs> I don't think that there's like a shadow group of people. It's not the elders of Zion. It's not the Bilderberg group. Like, I don't think that there's people trying to do this. And I don't think corporations are like go- trying to do it. Like, let's, let's, let's do this to society. But I think the mechanism of like a cons- of consumer culture and corporatism and everything. The only thing that can take down corporatism is a mass movement of people. <coughs> right? Like if you get a mass movement of people that are that are unified, they can all say we're boycotting we're boycotting this product. Mm-hmm. Actually and, and it's a, a boycotting uh, in a way corporate the corporate mentality pushes groupthink. Yeah. In a way. So you got to in the way fighting against the corporations, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to see individual. Right. So, but I, so that's interesting that you say it does group thing because I would say corporate mentality tries to divide people. That's mm. what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Because like like corporate mentality, let's turn everything into team sports. Mm. Yeah. Like let's turn everything into competitions of teams mm-hmm. fighting each other. 
And like when I'm when I'm a conservative, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch Fox News and Breitbart. I'm gonna read books by these people, and I'm gonna listen to this radio stuff. You know, it becomes like a brand brand. that you're buying into, and you get these. You know, you lose human. You lose uh, your human. uh, You get. uh, It goes. It's really often. I believe. I feel that it goes back to the childhood game of who has a bigger cupcake. But we never grew up like you wouldn't call a child ch- childish for doing that, like you know, because they're not being childish; they're children. <laughs> and when when adults do it, when we do it, it's childish because we haven't gone on from like, oh, I don't have to have, I don't have to have, I don't have to keep up with the. Gender. I think that's what yeah. happens in Frum in the Frum community too, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you if you're Chabad, mm-hmm. right, then that means like you wear Borsalino hat. Mm-hmm. And this brand Capata, right. and this brand toothpaste, and like you know, when you're on our team, you follow these menhagim, and you you know, mm-hmm. and you do it X Y Z, and it's it it's very threatening to people mm-hmm. if you're like, well, I'm on your team, but I I don't wear that kind of yarmulke right. or whatever. Right. It's they're like you know, yeah. I mean, I remember that. I remember that it was so fascinating to me when I like started being really critical of the women's march because. I experienced so much of what I had gone through with the Orthodox community mm. um, in terms of like, I was like a liberal ally, but also being really critical of the women's march. And it was so fascinating to me because I realized there was the same reaction of like, what do you think you're doing? Like, that's not what we do here. Like we are on the same team and that means you shut the hell up. And yeah. You cr- can't critique. be an individual. I am not allowed to. Say, I'm like, I always qualify things i'm like listen i'm a i'm a white heterosexual male and i apologize i share my opinion about this it's just my opinion just you know because it's you know it's tough in certain for certain groups to hear other people's opinions you know it's like with the women's march it was you know i followed that whole thing going on yeah that was pretty and what was so f- interesting to me was like when i i was on that show or whatever when we had the did you see that? The, it was like, basically, they, I was on, it was my only time I'd ever done this. It was like going on a, a cable news show or whatever where we were just debating this idea. And there was like, oh, another woman, Sally Cohen and me, and we were talking. And one of the things I thought was really interesting was I kind of kept both the host, not in, a, in an aggressive way, but both the host and the, the woman kind of kept referring to me as someone who was like not, invested in the women's march in a sense and i was actually saying no the reason that i care about this is because i care about the women's march um and that kind of like through the whole conversation like the conversation it didn't break down or anything but it just the 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 polarization of it was much harder for them to handle because because the moment you say like no i'm saying this because i love and care about this thing not because i i hate it you know all of a sudden it's a different conversation but couldn't you have just said like i have daughters that are supposed to be in this world you know i love my daughters i you know i'm a feminist for my daughter you know i have a daughter i, I want my my daughter to grow up in a world that treats women respectfully know, yeah. in the way they're supposed to be treated yeah you, i don't it, know i mean i think i think it I think in general, if we're not coming at it from like a place of, of I experienced like, that myself. Uh, no, just of like I'm saying, if if we're just like I care, I care about what you care about. Like I actually do care about what you care about. I, did you, you hear this thing? Like that, I saw Samuel L. Jackson was really upset mm-hmm. about this this guy who played the lead in that movie Get Out. Uh huh. Because he's from England. Oh really? And Samuel Jackson was like, you know, what are these? 
these black people from England playing uh-huh. American black people. Interesting. Like, why, what gives them the right to do that? Like, they've been intermarrying over in England for 100 years. Mm-hmm. That was the statement that he made. And I was just like, wow. You know, like, people are saying, like, now you can't, you can't play an American because you don't, you never, you, like, when did it become a thing? Do we tell people you can't play Jews in the Holocaust because you didn't go through the, like, you know. I, just, I think some of those things, it's just like, you just have to, even too, even with, when it comes to, uh, when it comes to, like, things of, like, race, like, race in, in and of itself is actually, I, I believe, a, a false concept in terms of, because it, it's, racism is real. But race, in and of itself, is a, is a false concept. If you see, you gotta like we gotta be human beings first, and you gotta see that you know everybody's made in the image of God. So you gotta see the image of God in everybody, and not just think what well, this is. But uh, people, I think, accident. It's it's a it's a well intentioned, but I think people uh, use stereotypes. Like for instance, um, I don't know. Like even uh, I forget how I trailed off in this, but like. Um, I think that there's a lot made about divisiveness with with race when and we've talked about this a lot but like with music those a lot of those barriers were broken down very much actually in this country mu- musicians were very much the pi- are very much the pioneers of of integrated uh, of normative human relations not that, I don't even like to call it race related because they were human beings and um so some, I think when people make, like for instance, the thing that happened with Bruno Mars and he was being accused of uh, uh, cultural appropriation. appropriation and things like that. And it's like, it's not that that stuff didn't happen, but we sort of also need to try to be in a world where it's like, I, like I, I always bring this up too, but I saw one of Prince's first interviews on, on, on MTV, mm-hmm. the uh, VJ tried to race bait him mm-hmm. and he said like, well, don't you think, you know, like with Purple Rain coming out, don't you think you're going to alienate? some of your black listeners and Prince like wasn't going for it. He was like, it's like, man, I grew up in a black and white world, you know, I was rich and poor, you know? And, um, uh, so a, a lot of, uh, construct, a lot of constructs that we have really are constructs that they're, they're false. They're falsehoods that we accept as some sort of truth. And we actually kind of come to see ourselves sometimes as different species almost. And it's like, no, you're human. You, yes, you have different, it's beautiful. You know, thank God Hashem creates all kinds of hues of skin and there's all black and white and all the kinds of in between. The best interview that I've you know? ever seen about cultural appropriation is George Clinton mm-hmm. from P-Funk. Mm-hmm. Um, they just interviewed him about it. And it's, it is laugh out loud funny. I can't even quote him <laughs> on this show because it was some dirty. of the stuff that he said is like, you know. It was funky. But it, it was yeah, funky. he was just talking about cultural appropriation. He's like, I love the Beatles. Mm-hmm. You know, like. Oh, because they were right. Yeah. Like they're, they're, an interest, they're, they're an influence on him and he loves them. He's just, you know. Yeah, once you get into sort of defining what some we anyway i don't know what i'm trying to say exactly sorry if i took it way off but there's a lot of uh what's it social constructs that we accidentally accept because what's our choice and then still we until we start thinking about them like wait a minute you know like that's to uh, me the power of art that comes so this is like a great segue into like to me art is the best kind of activism Hmm. and because it because to me like you know, every person has an amygdala, right? We have this, like, this little, I don't know, gland in the bottom of our, like, the base of our skull that just, like, anytime we sense any kind of 
harm or danger. Like, you know, it fills us with all fight these or flight, fight yeah. or flight. Yeah. And everybody's amygdala is getting triggered like <laughs> all the time, you know, but like the worst thing that you could do to get somebody to listen to you is scream at them. Mm. <laughs> like if you want somebody to like evolve their feeling towards you, like screaming at them will not, will not, you know, yeah, it's fascinating. You know, it's like so, but I think art can really do that. You know, stories, and and it doesn't. I can't. Nobody likes. It, you're saying because it kind of turns off that aspect. Like we're not usually when you're experiencing art, you're not. You're more like if it's effective, you're getting immersed in it, right? So you're not living the fight or flight experience as much. Yeah, right? and I think like I'm sorry to I'm <laughs> sorry to bring it up, but to me, like when I was a kid, the Cosby Show was a big deal. Interesting timing. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting timing. But, you know, as a kid, yeah. you know, as a five-year-old kid, seeing that show... Um, you're saying it affected you because you're saying you're seeing... Uh... They were the first, like, black people that I remember seeing. Yeah. And they were, you know, he was a doctor. My dad's an OBGYN. Cliff Huxtable was an OBGYN. Oh, and they wow. lived in Philly, and we're Philly fans. And they were, you know, normal family. So, for me, like, I had no idea that there was, like... I grew up in Richmond, Virginia, which is, like... You know, it wasn't until, you know, I got into high school and we took Civil War history where I was like, how can the black person sit in this classroom and listen to this? Mm. And not, like, I was like, that would have been like me sitting in a classroom in Berlin. Mm. Right. You know, like hearing about the Holocaust history. Just like, you know. Yeah. But, um. Guys, we are like a little bit over time. So I have to. No, it's because it was a good conversation. Okay. <laughs> um, do you guys want to plug anything before? I'm sorry to cut you guys off, but is there anything you want to. Chillant. How can we find out about Chillant? Oh, okay. So our website is chillantband.com. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we're playing the Sababa Fest this summer. Oh, nice. And wow. that's cool. We have an album that you can stream for three, for free on the. On Bandcamp. On our Bandcamp it's site, which is a Chillant, Chillant Funk. Was it? On Bandcamp is Chillant Funk. Chillant Funk mm-hmm. at Bandcamp. At Bandcamp. Yeah, but the website's got links to all the okay. all the stuff. But nice, cool. Are you doing any more animation? Like, animation stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's like that was also something that I I needed to kind of like rotate the crops because mm. I got kind of burnt out from not getting support for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I hear you. I'll get back to it. You know, I still. Yeah doodle with it and stuff like that but cool well we can check out julicious i guess no wait that's not you what is uh what is this site that you used to uh schmidio schmidio yeah. yeah i mean that's still there right yes yeah, uh no i don't think so i think the youtube oh, really? channel is still up the youtube channel okay yeah and the facebook channel awesome we're all still really good buddies the schmidio guys yeah 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 that's awesome all right well thank you so much thank, thank you for, for having the, for having us out yeah, yeah that was, was awesome cool. was so much fun <laughs> and Hatzlacha, continued Hatzlacha. <laughs> Amen. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you for listening to Hivriya Cast. I'm Alad Harai. If you'd like to hear more and read more of our work, you can follow us by going to hivriya.com or facebook.com slash mag. We've been recording at the Kalal Studios in New York City. And the music that you're hearing is Voice Lessons by Darshan. Thank you so much. We look forward to seeing and hearing from you again. Kal, kal